Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Samach Aleph. We're going to go from the fourth last line of Samach Amud Beis, uh, 60b. So yesterday the Gemara, we were learning in the Gemara about um, a woman who's hired to nurse a child and um, some of, uh, she's not allowed to nurse other children at the same time, even her own children. And she's also, she needs to provide herself with more food. She's not allowed to eat unhealthy food, food that's uh, detrimental to the child or to her milk. We said, yeah, some of the foods cause her milk to stop, uh, to dry up, and some of the milks, uh, some of the food ruin the milk. So she's not allowed to eat those sort of foods. Um, now the Gomorrah is going to mention a few other actions or foods that could have an effect on a pregnant or nursing woman. So this is towards the end of the fourth last line. It says, the Meshamshe Beirecha, so, oh, I just wanted to mention something very uh, that I forgot to say yesterday when we were reading through the list of foods that are bad for a nursing woman. Um, one of the things that it, it, it mentions is like dagim, dagim katanim, small fish, etc. That was one of the Jews or those who complained by the man. Said they complained, we remember the fish that we used to eat in Egypt because the man didn't taste like the foods. And there is it, the fish and the gourds, etc. The man didn't taste like foods that were harmful to the to pregnant woman or to nursing woman. So that's what they were complaining. We remember the fish that we used to eat in Egypt. Now we used to eat fish, and now we don't get anything like that. Just uh, you can see how uh, what full of complaints they got and uh, ungrateful. So now, just as we said, a few other of the of the points. So it says the Meshamshe Berechai Havulei Bnei Nichve. Someone who has Tashmish. Intercourse near a uh, mill will have children who are epileptic. The Meshamshal Ara Havalu Shemuti. Someone who has uh, Tashmish on the ground will have children with long necks. The Darko Aroma de Chamra Havalu Bane Girdani. If the woman walks on a donkey excrement, she'll have uh, children who go bald. The Ochla Chardela. I don't know, yeah, maybe it's not bald, maybe it's loose, all their hair, something like that. If they eat mustard, they'll have children who grow up to be glutters. If you eat cress, you'll have children who are teary-eyed. teary-eyed. If someone eats, if a pregnant woman eats small fish, they'll have children with blinky eyes. If they eat clay, they will have ugly children. I mean, clay they used to eat as like a medicine. If they drink beer, they'll have dark children. If she eats meat and drinks wine, they'll finally something positive, she'll have healthy children. If she eats eggs, she'll have children with large eyes. If she eats fish, she'll have uh, charming children. If she eats celery, she'll have radiant children. If she eats coriander, she will have uh, fat children. If she eats esrogs, she'll have uh, nice-smelling children. The daughter of Shavu Malka, her mother, 
used to feed her asrogs. Her mother used to eat asrogs. And whenever they were taking fragrances to the father, to the king to smell, they would carry his daughter in first because her mother used to eat so many asrogs that she smelled amazing. That's why the Gomorrah obviously... Um, I would assume with a Gomorrah like this, this is how they understood, but not as something that we would take too seriously. But you can always look into how do you treat a Gomorrah that makes uh, no sense to us, at least on a scientific level. Okay, let's go on to the next piece. So Omar Ravuna Barak, like Ravuna Barakhanina, Ravuna said that Ravuna Barakhanina was testing us. He says, says, what happens if she says, I want to nurse my child, and the husband says, I don't want to nurse my child? Now, why would the husband not want to work, work, uh, nurse the child, Ravun said, because he's worried about how it will affect her beauty, etc. He says, show him law. We listen to her. She's allowed to feed her, nurse the child. Sarah didahu, because it's she who will suffer the pain. If a woman doesn't nurse, then her breast can get very, very sore. What's the halacha if she says, I don't want to nurse, and he says, I want you to nurse my children. I think it's primarily, the, the discussion here is primarily a financial discussion of, does he says, I don't want to have to pay someone to come and nurse the child. I want you to look after it. She says, so he says, Obviously, if it's not the way of their family, if... Um, if it's not the way of the family, show him law. We listen to her. Yeah. What would be the halacha if it is? Her way, but not his way. Bosser diday oslinen, oi bosser didaslinen. Do we listen to? Do we follow the norms of his family or the norms of her family? Sorry, just. Um, so I'm just a bit confused. If we said kol heicha delav urcha, where it is not her family's practice. Show me law. We listen to her. Oh, I think it means it's not her family's practice. Um, then we listen to her. I'm not sure why we listen to her. Just I'm a bit confused. Yeah. Yeah, I think, we, I think what we mean by that line where it's not her family's practice, but it is his family's practice. His family has for always all his, uh, his mother and his siblings, they all hire nurses. They don't look after the children themselves. Then we listen to her and we expect, he says, what he or who love or chai. What happens if it's her family's practice, but not his family's practice? So, we follow his practice or her practice. So, this was the test, and we answered him from the following. Says, we go, she goes up with him, but she doesn't go down with him. He has to maintain the wife at the status that she was used to growing up. So, in her family, if they always hired nurses, then that's what we would do here as well. Um, 
And on the flip side also, if his financial status is elevated, then she gets to live according to his financial status. And as his financial status grows, so to her rights um, grow with it. Okay, Omar Ravuna, my Ravuna says, where do we see this in the Pasuk? It says, and she is a Ba'ulas Baal. Now, it could have said she's a HSC, she's a married woman. So why does it use the strange phrase Ba'ulas Baal? It's coming to teach us that she's elevated according to the husband, but she is not, um, she doesn't have to lower her standards to live in accordance with her husband. Rabbi Elazar, or Rabbi Elazar says, from the following, says, she was the mother of all living things. What, why, why does it use the word she was given for Chaim. She was, she was given in marriage. When does a woman? When is a woman the mother of all life? When she's going in, when she's getting married, and that's lechayim for laugh a little tsar and not for oppression. So a married woman doesn't have to marry in, and uh, and the husband can't say, well, I want to uh, keep certain standards that are lower than what she's used to, because marriage must be for her benefit and not for her tsar. But don't uh, they take on the, the husband's... Uh, so, halachically, it seems you follow the husband's minhagim. She's yeah. moving into his rishus halachically. But it seems financially, part of the expectation is, is that the husband maintains her, her level but of lifestyle from before marriage and, elev- and if he's on a higher level of la- lifestyle to elevate her. But if he's Minagin would you to non yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think I think it's a fun it's not like a um, it's a financial like consideration. Yeah, it's not like a minag, it's a financial consideration. The wealth the wealthy families or the the families with more opulent lifestyles would have a nurse or someone to feed them and the other families would uh, um yeah, and uh, poorer families or less uh, opulent families would nurse their own children. Same as like, I mean, you can ask the question nowadays. I think it would be more fascinating because they discuss all the. You, you always read they pass out a lot of literature when you are pregnant, when you're going to have your kid, about the importance and the values and the benefits of breastfeeding a child, as opposed to either nursing us, getting the child fed by bottles, um, even if it's breast milk, and then third best would be formula or something like that. So they uh, they discuss those uh, marriage. Yeah. Um, so so would, would a husband be able to say, look, it's much more healthy for the child if you nurse it? Then, like, because that's not, now it's not a financial consideration, it's for the health of the child. I, I think that could be a more interesting question, but I, I think here it's primarily a financial discussion. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, at what point did Chava became become known as Aim Kol Chai? Seems after the sin. And there are various different explanations. It's quite a fascinating discussion. When, why was she called there Aim Kol Chai? Why did she get that title then? But it seems in some. So, the one explanation I heard, which is quite. Um, um, yeah, it seems that. Even though Chava and Adam lost a huge amount of their level from their sin of eating from the tree, to a degree, 
Chava, through having children, brings life back into the world. So that's when she gets this distinguished title of Chava, and Ein Kolchai, the mother of all uh, all living creatures, and, in a, and to a degree that's restoring her to her previous status. A very interesting practice, we don't have it, is that, um, again, it's a big discussion, why do women light the Shabbos candles? So it's a mitzvah on the family, so why doesn't the husband, why don't one of the children, why is it always the woman? So one of the more, let's say, controversial <laughs> on explanations is because Chava dimmed the light of the world when she got Avram to eat. So now we want she, the woman, um, repair that by bringing light into the world, by lighting the Shabbos candles. And therefore some had the minag that the week after childbirth, the woman doesn't have to light the Shabbos candles. And one of the explanations behind that minag is because by bringing children into the world, she's brought life and light into the world without having to go to light the Shabbos candles. So uh, it's a clever answer. I don't know. As I said, I don't know if we have that minag, but it's a it's an interesting idea to think about. Okay, hichnis shivcha. Then the Mishnah discussed. And remember, the Mishnah mentioned seven tasks that a woman is responsible for in the house. And then it is if she brings in one maidservant, what tasks does she not have to do? She brings in two, etc. So now we're going to go and discuss each of those. Um, so he says, If she brings in one shivcha, so it's hashara, but the rest of the responsibility she has to do, hashara abda, um, the rest of the chores, the responsibility she has to do, let us say to him, the chores were all along upkeep of the house, doing the washing, making the beds, um, preparing the bread, the flour, the flour for the bread, or organizing the flour for the bread, nursing her children, etc. So if she brings in one shivcha, she's exempt from some of the chores. It's whole sha'ara of that she has to do all the others. It says, Let her say, I brought a maidservant in my place. Whatever you expected me to do, you can expect a servant to do. So he says, Mishum to Amar lo ho torcha le didi Kame didcho man torach. He says, no. This maidservant is now able to take care of my needs and her needs. You still have to take care of your needs. I, um, it's almost the assumption, it seems to be, that a woman can kind of manage all the household chores of two people. As soon as it gets to three people, it gets a bit hectic. So if she brings in a maidservant, the maidservant can manage her husband's needs and the maid servants herself needs. So that's what the husband says, and who's going to look up, take your, care of your needs? Therefore, she still has most of the responsibilities if she only brings in one maid servant. So now they're a household of three. Um, a few interesting questions, not going to go into them now, but uh, why can't she... Um, um, so what was it? Why can't she claim I'm bringing in the maidservant so you have to bring the chores or you know, you have to pay someone else to come in and do the chores. Why, why, does it, why is he the one who gains and the wife the one who loses? But, it seems, but I think it's a game because those are her domain of the house. So she has to make sure that they, they get done. If she brings in one maidservant, it's not going to help them get done. And says, said, If she brings in two maidservants, she doesn't have to cook and she doesn't have to nurse. Etc. Says Hoshar Abda, but she still has to do the other the other chores of the house. I she has to make his bed and she has to work with wool. But Taimalei Ayalti Lecha Isa Achris. He let us say I brought in a second maidservant. The Torcha Lididioli The she can work for me and for you. The Chada Lididcha Ulididah and one for. 
herself and her and uh, sorry I brought in two maidservants one for me and the one maidservant and one for you and the other maidservant so Mishum's Omelah Kameucha Uparchi Man Torah says because the husband can say to her okay that's all very well for the actual household but what about all the guests Rashi explains Urchai are guests who come and stay long term Benji had that experience recently guests who come and stay for a week or a two weeks or a month and Parchai is passerbars and explains as you get known as a as a big household, you've got two servants, two, two, two servants living with you, well then you're a big household, lots of people are going to start coming to stay with you. So that's, uh, that's, that's why if they're just two servants, she still has to do a few of the tasks. Oh, if they're three maids of it, she doesn't have to make the bed. So she still has to do the other minor tasks. Here, these weren't mentioned in the Mishnah, but they would be small things that have to be done around the house. There's, but can't she say, I don't have to do any chores. I brought in another maid to take care of the guests. Says no, as you're bringing another maid, so too more people are knocking at our door to stay at us. So as just as a household gets bigger, we just get more guests. Well then why when we when you said if she brings in four servants, then we don't need she doesn't have to do anything. But once there are four people, isn't it a that much bigger household? And once there are five slaves, isn't it a that much bigger household? How do you resolve the issue that you're going to get more and more people? It says, no. Arba, kibin dinifishilu masana dadi. says, no, once there are four and there's so many, they can help each other and take care of all the needs. Um, doesn't mean that literally she has to bring in maidservants. It doesn't have to be like part of the dowry is maidservants. It says, It's even if she is um, just brought in a dowry that's fitting to bring in maidservants, she gets off those jobs and you can expect the husband to hire maidservants. I, if, the, if, I don't know, a regular dowry is, I don't know, 10,000 rand, and that's just to help set up a few things in the house. That's fine. Now this girl comes in with a dowry of 100,000 rand. Well, now that's a wealthy dowry. You can expect them to buy, pay for servants and stuff with a dowry to take the workload off her. She doesn't literally have to bring in May, uh, servants as her dowry. Interesting, again, important to note, we're taking, we're saying that, uh, and this is how we generally learn shots. It's conceptual. When the Mishnah says, bring in maidservants, it doesn't mean literally that if she brings in one, if she brings in two. It means if she brings a dowry, that's, would be, that for that sort of person, it would be appropriate to bring in a maidservant. So again, just, I'm just highlighting that, it's, that it doesn't fit in with the simple reading of the Mishnah, but it's the conceptual reading. And then just one further point on this, Tana, Echot Shehichniso Loi, Echot Shehtsimtsimo Loi Mishalo. And it doesn't matter whether she brings in the maidservant or comes in with a dowry that's good enough to, that would be appropriate to buy maidservants. It's even if she um, is very stingy with her finances so she can afford to buy a slave. I, he gives her a little bit of spending cash. You know, she gets enough food, she gets enough money for food and the standard support, and she gets a little bit more money for jewelry and perfume and stuff like that, and she saves some of that money. Till she can afford a maidservant, that's good enough. Then she has a maidservant, and she get off, can get off some of the chores, even though it's not really, it's not really like of her financial status. Um, just interestingly, um, I think what could be an important Musa lesson is we see that a husband she can say I've brought in three maidservants, and he says okay, but we still and therefore I shouldn't have to do anything. 
what can he say? We still got visitors. So that should, she should be able to say, that's not fair. I don't want visitors. <laughs> you want visitors, you take care of them. But I think well, what could be a Musar idea is a Jewish home has visitors. A Jewish home does hachnasas orchim. If people need a place to stay, you have them over. People need a meal, you have them for lunch. And it's an expect, and it's exp, and it's the Gemara says it's an expected past of a Jewish home, this having visitors. And therefore, when a wife says, "Look, I've brought in three maids, I shouldn't have to do anything," a husband can say, "Yeah, but there we have guests." And she can't say, "Well, they're your guests, your problem." No, it's a Jewish home. Jewish homes have guests. Okay, Omer. Don't make the woman lazy. Oh, so, so that was uh, four maidservants, then, and then the children yeah. will do nothing. So that's the next part of. So that's what the, the Mishnah ends off. I'll just read the last part of the Mishnah because that's what we're going, we're going to discuss those um, opinions now. So um, let me just find it. Uh, yeah. If she has four maidservants, she can sit in an easy chair. She can laze around the whole day. Rabbi Loza, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer, no, I feel like this is all Rabbi Eliezer says, no, even if she comes in with a hundred servants, you still force her to work with wool because idleness, betailer, uh, doing nothing, leads to promiscuity. And Rabbi Shimon and Gamriel, Rabbi Shimon and Gamriel says, your yeah, idleness and boredom lead to promiscuity. Rabbi Shimon Kamil switches on this. Is even if a man takes a neder that his wife's not allowed to do any work, he has to divorce her and pay out to Ksuba because idleness will lead to her to insanity. So these two concerns. Yeah, so a woman sitting around doing nothing. It's gonna, she's going to you know, start hanging out with friends, and she's going to go to the house, you never know, it's going to lead to Zimmer. To Zimmer. <laughs> doing nothing the whole day. And the other concern from Rabbi Shimon Kamil is that it will lead to insanity, sitting around doing nothing all day. We know, I mean, sadly we see this, that one of the, you see how many people they retire, functioning, you know, walking around, doing their own things, taking care of themselves, and then they retire, and within... A few months often you see the degeneration unless they have all these projects and things that they're doing to keep themselves busy. It's also so, bad for the children. <laughs> to see their mother like to that. To see their mother yeah. nothing, then they do nothing. They want yeah. to have to make... Uh, yeah. So let's uh, so let's see. So even though she's allowed to just so Rabbi Khanina says no, she's she's provided for servants, etc., to take care of the household needs. She can't just sit back and relax. It says, nevertheless, she should still She should still pour for her husband someone and make his bed and, uh, and wash his uh, hands and face. I mean, nowadays uh, we take care of our own washing needs. Also, this making the bed, remember we learned one of the chores is making the bed. So that's the proper making of the bed, you know, like putting the sheet down and turning the mattresses. That, that she can leave to her servants. But uh, I think imagine, you know, like turning down the cover or flapping the pillow, something like that she should do. Now, why these should she do even though, uh, um, um, why should she do these? She's got a hundred maidservants, which Rabbi Hanina says entitles her to just sit back and relax. Why are, we, why are we saying, but she should do these? So actually, because these are acts of love. And they will endear her to her husband or endear him to her. Um, 
Okay. So then so she shouldn't so she must still do acts that show her love for her husband which will in which will foster the love between them. If she's just sitting back in her chair, never doing anything, she's not going to feel the love for her husband and he's not going to feel her love and that leads to other problems. So it seems almost it's not halacha, it's not halacha, it's almost good advice. But interestingly enough, it is brought in halacha. It's brought in uh, the Rambam and Shulchan Aruch, that a woman should do these things for her husband. So, again, I don't know if we would say literally nowadays she should do these things, but even, even, even a woman who is having a shit, who's having a, even a woman who has a maidservant, who has maids to take care of her, she must still make sure to do acts that show her love for her husband. And, and it will work both ways. If she shows her love for her husband, her, love, her husband will love her back, and it fosters a good relationship at home. Um, again, I don't think it would be literally uh, wash his hands, basically, as I said, nowadays, or necessarily turn down the bed, but something like that would be um, displays of love. So, Omar of Yitzchak, Barachanina, Omar of Huna, yeah, now we're going to see this is we're going to show this on the flip side where affection is a problem. Says Rav Yitzchak Bachanina says the name of Rav Huna. All chores that a woman does for her husband, she a nida can do for her husband. Except for pouring in cups of wine, um, um, fixing the bed, and washing his hands base. And again, this makes sense because remember, in Nida, we don't want the husband and wife to do acts of affection for each other because we worry that they'll come to relations which is forbidden while she's in Nida. So she can cook for him and she can do the washing and stuff. But these acts of affection, she shouldn't do at a time of Nida. It says, And this uh, straightening, uh, fixing up the bed, as we said, is not making the bed. That's a chore. That's not necessarily a thing. But turning down the covers or whatever it means, that she shouldn't do in, in front of him, but she can do it when she's not in front of him. Let's just read another halach with these halachos. Regarding Mezigas HaKos, I pouring a cup of wine, so Shmuel's wife would do it with her left hand. I do it in an unusual way. For Abaya's wife would put it back on the jar. She wouldn't hand it in front of him, she'd like put it on the lid of the jar. Rava's wife would place it on the pillow. Rav Papa Ashar Shifa, she would, Rava's wife would place it on the chair. So all of these cases, um, um, again, what's the um, what's the common denominator of these? She's doing this act of pouring wine and giving it to him in an unusual way. As soon as you do it in an unusual way, what you're doing, you're highlighting that it's not an act of affection, and that takes all the love out of it. You know, as soon as you do something, um, as soon as you do something, okay, I'm here. He's not necessarily doing it begrudgingly. But if your like, wife asks you for a favor, you're like, okay, fine, I'll do it if you really insist. You've taken all the love out of it. So even here, you're not doing it begrudgingly, or she's not pouring this wine begrudgingly, but just doing it in a different way, highlighting that it's not uh, the norm, takes all the affection out of the act. So that's the point. It's interesting. So these are what are called the harkokas, what a man and a woman have to be careful of when she's a nida, to not, uh, so that they're not showing signs of affection. Interesting, in Halacha, they're quite strict about pouring wine, which creates problems at Kiddush and stuff, because 
a man shouldn't pour his wife a glass of wine when she's a nidda, etc. Um, but if he like just pours it in front of him and then she takes it, it might be okay. Um, different ways to get around that. Now there's a fascinating point Rashi makes here. Rashi says, so here the standard assumption is this is all the day, from the moment she becomes a nida until she goes to mikvah, she's also to her husband, also to Raisa, and therefore all these halachas would apply, and even these leniencies would apply. Because there's no, once again, once they do it in an unusual way, it reminds them that she's a nida and it takes the affection out of it. But Rashi here says it's in the days when she wears white. Now remember, we have a woman's a nida for seven days, and nowadays we're strict and say that she has to have seven clean days in case she's a zaba. Don't you remember that from nida? Strictly speaking, Doris, a woman um, has her period. She's a nida for seven days. As long as she stops bleeding, she goes to mikvah at the end of seven days, and then she's mutar to her husband. We're strict and say maybe she's a zaba. And therefore, she has to keep another seven clean days. Those are what's called Yamei Livuna, the days when she wears white, when she has to check that she's clean for seven days before she can go to mikvah. Now, why should that make a difference? If she's, hasn't, as long as she hasn't gone to mikvah, even though she might not technically be a nida anymore, she's forbidden to her husband, Dor Isa. And it's one of the amazing things about nida is even when she's stopped her period, she's not permitted to her husband until... She's gone to mikvah. doesn't matter if, he go, if she goes six months later, she wouldn't be permitted to her husband. Doris and all that time. So what difference does it make whether it's Yemei um, Libuno or not, the days of wearing white or not? So Tosas have an interest on it. He says they used to have a minak, and after being a nidda, they would go to mikvah to fulfill the mitzvah of going to mikvah as soon as possible. And then after the stringency of treating her like a zava, that she would wait seven clean days, she would go to mikvah again. So there it makes a difference because up until the first mikveh, she's Doraisa, and then between the second, the two mikvehs, she's only also with this rabbinic stringency that we treat all women as zavas. So that's why, you, according to Rashi, you could go more lenient. There are other answers, but that's, uh, that's Tosas' answer to explain Rashi. But again, so then nowadays it would make no difference because she's also Doraisa. So interesting, according to Rashi, then all these leniencies wouldn't apply when she's also to right, so it should be nowadays. But according to most other opinions and how we pass it, they would apply. Okay, now we, um, we're now going to discuss another halacha with, during meals regarding the servants. It's Omer Yitzhak Bachanina, Omer Afuna, Hakol Mashim Bifnei Hashamash, Chutz Mibasa V'yayin. Rav Yitzhak Bachanina says, in the name of Rafuna that you can, um, you can make the shamas wait till the end of the meal, except for meat and wine. I meat and wine stimulate his appetite so much that you cannot make the shamas say, look, you, you're the waiter, you serve us, and when we finish eating, you go and eat. With other foods you can do that, but not with meat and wine. You're going to see it's very dangerous if someone smells and gets the appetite running. It's very dangerous if they don't eat. Omar the boss of Shemen, the Yosha, Rav said it's specifically um, fatty meat and old wine. And Omar Rav, boss of Shemen, Kolashana Kula, Yayin Yosha, Mitkufus Tamas. Rav says it's okay, fatty meat any time of the year, but this restriction would only apply to old wine in Tamas, when the wine is at its uh, peak and it has the most fragrance, that's when you can't make a waiter 
wait till the end of the meal, delay till the end of the meal to eat. You have to give him that meat and wine immediately. I was once sitting before Marshmul. And I bought him a mushroom dish. And if they would not have given me some of the mushroom dish to eat, I would have been in danger. It's not just meat and wine. Even this mushroom dish, which is relatively... Simple, I would have. And Omar Ravashi, have a kamina kamina derab kahana of Aisili Gagliri de Lifta, Bachala, and Lili of Tavili, Istagni. Said similarly, Ravashi says, I was once by Rav Kahana, and they bought him these turnips, these cooked turnips or something dipped in vinegar, and if he wouldn't have shared it to me, I would have been in danger. I, again, it's not just meat and wine that are dangerous if a person doesn't get to eat them when their appetites are aroused, it's all foods. And Rapapa Amara Filu Timroso Dahanunisa, even uh, fatty dates. And Klala de Milsa called the Islay Reicha, the Islay Kiwa, anything that has a fragrance or a sharpness to it. Those foods are dangerous if a person smells them and his appetite gets going and he wants to eat it. So, all those foods, again, if you have a waiter, most foods you can. Lots of foods you can tell me, you know what? You're busy serving us now, you wait till you have your supper after we've eaten. But these sort of foods, you let him eat, of <coughs> course, as he's serving it. These two brothers, Avua and Minyonin, the sons of Ihi, one used to feed the waiter after every course, and one fed them one course at the beginning and made him wait for the rest till the end. The one Eliyahu would visit and speak to, and the one Eliyahu would not speak to. Interesting, we see that, I mean, we know that Eliyahu, very great pious sages in the Gomorrah, Eliyahu would meet and speak with them. Seems as an extra level of sensitivity was required, not someone who was prepared to let their waiter eat between each and every course. That's the sort of person Eliyahu would meet. There were these two pious people, and some said it was Rav Mori and Rav Pinchas, the sons of Rathizda. One would let his waiter eat at the beginning, and one would make his waiter wait till the end. Eliyahu uh, sorry, sorry, I read it wrong. The one would make his waiter wait till the end of the meal to eat. The one who let his waiter eat at the beginning, Eliyahu would visit. The one who made his waiter wait till the end would not get, Eliyahu would not visit. This is an illustration of how dangerous it is how dangerous they viewed it to not eat when your appetite uh, is stimulated by these smells of food. Um, was sitting by the entrance to the palace of Azgur the king. It seems he was the king of Persia, Rashi says. And the chef of the king walked before them. Ravashi saw that Mazutra's face was uh, turning pale. So he realized he had smelled this food that was being carried to the king. And he, uh, and he started getting it. So Ravashi realized that Shoko the Etba, Anaslai Bupume, Ravashi quickly dipped his finger in the food and tapped it to his mouth. <coughs> his omelet is started to the suit of the Malka. Now the, the chef said, How can you stick your hands in the king's food? You've ruined his meal. 
Imagine this random guy sitting at the palace gates, dips his fingers in the king's food. Not gonna, you've ruined it. Says Amalei, Amai Tavid Hachi, and then the police came along and said, "What were you thinking of doing?" So Amalei, my David Hachi, He says, "No, the one who prepared the food was had already ruined the king's dish." So Amalei, Amai says, "What do you mean? Why? Why are you saying that the chef ruined the king's dish?" Says Amalei, "Dovar Acher Chazebai." Says Rabbi says, "I can see there's Dovar Acher. That means." Rashi says a pig with leprosy was used to prepare this meal. It says, They checked the food and they didn't find any signs of a leprous pig as part of the, the meal. It says, So Rashi pointed to a specific spot and he said, Have you tested there? So they tested there and they saw that it did have tzaraz. Leprosy. So Omar Lay Rabban and my time to Sabahtani. So so what's Ravashi be doing? He's relying on a miracle that they just to save themselves from having ruined the king's meal, which he did to save Mazutra because he's, he was uh, dying because of having smelt the food and having nothing to eat. So he relied on a miracle that they would find leprosy on the pig. So the Rabbanon said to him, My time is how can you rely on a miracle? So Amalehu Khazai Ruatsara the Koparkhala says, No. When I saw Rab Marzutra taste the food, I saw um, a spirit of leprosy hovering over him. So I knew that there was leprosy around there, or I knew that that's the miracle I could rely on, and that's why I told them to check it out. Um, and that's how Ravashi was saved. Um, interest, just uh, one interesting point to analyze here, the halacha. So it was non-kosher food, but obviously to save his life he gave him to eat. But it seems he didn't give him like a spoonful, he just like dipped his finger in the food and tapped it to his lips. Obviously that just tasting food, according to some, doesn't count as eating. So that would be better than letting Mazutra actually eat the food. Okay, ahu rumor do ahu There was a certain Roman who said to a woman, I want you, will you marry me? So Amrleila, she said, no, I refuse. So Ozil, I see Rimni Pili and Ozil Kamei, she went and brought pomegranates, cracked them open and ate them before her. And Kol Maya the Tsarilo Belisa, and she, she was salivating because uh, she really wanted the food, she was really hungry. And uh, she swallowed the saliva and it caused her a lot of pain. He refused to give her until her skin started to look, to look like uh, glassy. Um, Rashi explains, you are glassy, you are glass, um, that she was starting to swell in a reaction to desiring the food and not eating it. And the stretched skin made it look a little uh, glassy. He says, um, So he said, If you want me to heal you, marry me. So Amr Layin, she said, Okay, I'll marry you now. Says, I see Rimli Pili, but also come He brought another pomegranate and cracked it open and ate it in front of her. Tov shadi, tov shadi. says, every time you need to swallow saliva, rather spit it out. Spit it out. He said, until a little, uh, something that looked like a green piece of palm uh, was spat out and she was cured. So I don't know exactly what it was that was the thing, but he managed to cure her um, from the sickness that was triggered by her seeing and smelling this pomegranate and not being able to eat from it. And in the interim, he had got her to agree to marry him. Okay, then we said, We said, the woman can be forced to work with wool. You can force her to work with wool, but not with flax. 
Money Manisin, who's the author of Amishnah, Rabbi Yehuda, he is Rabbi Yehuda, the Tanya, Rabbi Yehuda says, I know Koi Felo Lamod, Lifnei Ovi, Velo Lamod, Lifnei Beno, Velo Litain Teven, Lifnei Behemta. You can't force her to work. Again, the husband can insist on her doing certain chores for him, but he cannot enforce her to do chores for his father or his other sons. And nor to provide straw for his animals. You can force her. You can force her to give straw to his cattle. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, Af Einu Koyfel Asos BePishton. Rabbi Yehuda says you also can't force her to work with Pishton. Bimnaishet Pishton Masriach Saper causes the mouth to have a bad smell. Umesharbit Asas Fayim and the lips and her lips to swell. Ahani Mili BeKisner Ramai. And obviously this is all with Roman flax. Seems just to focus on the flax for a second. Part of the way they used to often like lick the thread that they were working with the with the flax and it would leave a bad smell in their mouth and it would also cause their lips to swell. So that's why review what it says, you can't force your wife to work with flax. Um, it's very confusing, I couldn't understand Rashi's concern here with her working with animals is if you make her work with your horse and donkey it can lead to bestiality which is not the same by other by other cattle like cows etc. But so I wasn't too clear what, what Rashi where like well, that, that that was a real concern. You shouldn't let your wife uh, feed the horses and donkeys because it will lead to bestiality. But that Rashi seems to express as the concern there. And then I was wondering what's the what's the reason then at the beginning of the brisa that says you can't force her to work to help your father or your son. Is that we also concerned for immorality that she'll be seduced by them? Or is it there just because it's degrading for her? She signed up to marry you, not to uh, and help you, not to help these other people. Not too sure. Okay, Rebbeleza, even if she brings a hundred slaves, you have to, you can insist she works with wool because idleness leads to promiscuity. So Omar of Malkia, Omar of Arabar Ava, Halacha Rav Malkiyot says in the name of Arabar Abba, the halacha is like Rabbi Eliezer. I that she can, she, you, can inf- you can force your wife to do proper work. Even if she has no need to do work, you can insist that she does something. So there's Omar Abichinina, Braid Rav Ika. Now, now we're just going to mention there are two Amorai, one Malkiyah and one Malkiyot. So we're just going to have it, since they're such similar names, we're just going to mention the halakhic cases through Al-Chaz, whether, whether we go, which are quoted by each of them. I'm not going to go through the cases now, just because of time, but the verse says, Omar Rav Malkhiya, Omar Rav Arabarav, uh, sorry, Omar Rav Chanina Braid Rav Chanina said in the name of Rav Shapur Shvachos Gumos, the cases of a spit, a maidservant, that's the one we just learned, and Gumos are said by Rav Malkhiya. Bloris offer makle and vina, the cases of Bloris, that's a certain type of hairstyle that Ogdal Borazori used to use and a Jewish barber is not allowed to cut it, and offer makle putting ash in a wound because it will look like a tattoo, and eating cheese of a non-Jew, or the reason given there, is Rav Malkiya, not Rav Malkiya, Malkiya. says Rav Papa, Oma Manisinu Manisa Rav Malkiya, Shmaisa Rav Malkiya. He says, no, all the teachings that are in line with the Mishnah or a Brisa are of Malkiya, and the Gemara teachings from the Amoraim are of Malkiyot. The Simonech, and the way to remember it is Matnisa Malchusah. Mishnahs are queen. And obviously, faster the, the reliability or the authority of a Mishnah is superior to that of a 
Amorai teaching. This is my Bnei, which case are they arguing on? They're arguing on Shvachos. Okay, so that's just to remember how to pass in which of these cases, but let's, we'll leave it there and go on. Rabbi Shimon Gamil says, he said that if, even if, if a husband takes a vow that his wife's not allowed to work, she can expect to, she, he has to divorce and pay her tsuba. I, he, it's not considered her bad that they're divorcing because it leads to idleness, leads to insanity. Says Hainu Tanakam, is that not the same as the previous Tana Rebbe Lezer? He says you can both both Rebbe Lezer and Rebbe Shimon hold you can you have to let this woman or you have to make her work with wool. You can't just let her do sit in her rocking chair the whole day. Says no Ikabaneu Tmitzalala Begiruso Ketnaisa or Venidrashir. Says no. What happens if she's uh, she plays with puppies or she plays chess? I she what she has a card game. She goes to uh, what do they call it? Um, whatever. She she has other what's it casual frivolous ways of keeping herself entertained mm-hmm. and busy. Does that count? So according to Rabbi Shimon that's good enough. Uh, I'm actually not sure which one's which. Uh, let me just check. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. These sort of activities won't let her go. They won't. She won't go insane because she's busy. She's got her card games, her painting classes, her oh, that might be considered constructive, which is she's got card games, plays with puppies, etc. Yeah, chess, that sort of thing. So that will keep her busy, but it is still frivolous. So it might lead to promiscuity. So according to Eliezer, she has to have something substantial. Uh, Something constructive, and according to Rabbi Shimon Gabriel, no, as long as she's kept busy. Okay, let's start the next Mishnah. Okay, Hamadir is Ishto Mitash Mishamita, by Shama Omrim Shteisha Bosses, by Sil Omrim Shamas Ashas. If a man takes a neder that he's not allowed to have, be intimate with his wife, he's not allowed to have Tashmish. By Shama, I say, if it's for two weeks, we make them stay married. And Basil say, no, only if it's for one week, we make her stay married. I, if it's for any time longer than that, we force him to divorce her. Now, interesting. Firstly, it can't be that he won't give her the enjoyment of Tashmish because a man can't make a netter against his obligation. So here the case would be where the man took a netter that he himself is not allowed to enjoy Tashmish with his wife. So in that case, if it's for longer, if the netter is... For the next month, then he has to divorce her. If the netter is just for two weeks, then we say she has to hang in there and wait. But some might say two weeks, but she will say one week. Students are allowed to uh, disappear for Torah learning for 30 days. Ah, he can say, sorry, I need to... Generally, again, he'd have to be available for his wife, but... Now and then he can say, sorry, I just have to go learn. I'm going to, I'm going to Israel for a month to learn there. He can do that. And a worker for one week, but not more than that. Now we're going to see how long is a husband, how often, again, we know a husband has an obligation to, um, to uh, pleasure his wife. So how often is that? So ha'oinam, we're of a Torah regarding the requirements mentioned in the Torah, ha'tayolim b'chol yom. Tayolim, which we'll see in the Gemara, what it is, are obligated every day. Hapoalim shtayim b'shabbos. Workers, laborers, are obligated in intimacy twice a week. Chamorim achas b'shabbos. 
um, donkey drivers once a week, maybe because that's their living, is that they travel from town to town, so they won't be home more than once a week. And gemolim, camel drivers, which travel much further, achas l'shoshim yom, once every 30 days, and hasafanim, sailors, once every six months this is all the opinion of Rebbe Yelezer so again the woman knows some of them are based on their strength and their ability and their availability and so, but again if a woman marries a donkey driver she has no right to insist on him being available to her more than once a week he can say like that's his business is for traveling but interest on the flip side of that let's say he is a donkey driver and they get married and then he wants to change professions like a camel driver or a sailor he'd have to get a permission because now when they got married he was expected to be uh, for Tashmish once a week and now you're changing it to less frequent. And something else to ask, the other times that we say it's an obligation, so I'm not sure how those aren't mentioned, for example just before a husband goes on a journey or on mikvah night, there are these other times that are obligations. Um, I think we better leave it there for today, we'll start the Gomorrah tomorrow.